Blog Talk Radio. The Four Persons, Inc. is a federally registered and licensed 501c3 charity. Any use of any of our content without our permission is prohibited by law. Our purpose is evangelization, education, and social action. Please go to our website at thefourpersons.com or our blog site at thefourpersons.net to make your tax-deductible donation by credit or debit card. You can also send a check to The Four Persons, Inc., P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. To contact us, send us an email at email at thefourpersons.com. Listening to the Luke Haskell Show on the Four Persons Network. Luke takes a deep dive every show into history, theology, and scripture. If you want to truly be educated, make way for the hammer of heretics himself, ladies and gentlemen, Luke Haskell. California in the mountains. We got rain for the last two days, and it's actually pretty. <laughs> yeah, well, we're snowy here. Not a lot of snow, maybe five or six inches total, but um, bitterly cold. Uh, this morning, I think it was 11 degrees when I went out. So it's. it's <laughs> pretty cold here. We're getting a little bit of a warming trend over the next couple of days and by the end of the week it's supposed to actually be in the 60s. So the one thing they say about the East Coast, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes, it'll change. Yeah, it's uh, the land of four seasons. So we get all the seasons, but we get them all, all four kind of mildly. So uh, right. uh, it, it's a nice place to live. I, I like it a lot. Right. So now we're going to go into uh, chapter four, and um, you know what? Why don't we just start with a little bit of a brief review? Um, John's approach, as we've discussed, is a little bit different than Matthew's, and with each new chapter, with each new 
uh, story, John's giving us a, a theology lesson. So we we kind of went into a breakdown of the Trinity and uh, Jesus as a, a Trinitarian, uh, the second person of the Trinity. Then we kind of got into the, uh, the 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 wonder of baptism, and uh, now we're going to kind of get into uh, some different aspects of Jesus' teaching as far as uh, how. Um, He's going to set in contrast kind of the Pharisees' hypocrisy uh, to the um, to the true faith that's exercised by some people that would not have fit into their paradigm of who the true believers were, right? Is that a good starting point? Sure. Uh, we, we talked about in the beginning uh, origins uh, uh, commentary on gospel of john and uh, he talked about it just being so deep that you know you really can't understand it unless you uh, have mary as your mother and uh, uh like jesus did and uh it, it's it talks about how you can read it just plainly when you know in a in a uh, a literalist sense and then when you read it in a literal sense according to our Catholic history and our Catholic understanding of, of the true Passover. It, it takes on a, a, a completely different view, and it just opens yourself up to this, to these infinite images of the beatific vision. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, we see... Uh, Right off the bat, not like Matthew, who who shows us this, you know, case makes a case for for Jesus and being prophecy fulfilled and being, you know, the uh, uh, the Messiah that moves on to the Son of God and and uh, right off the bat with John, it's uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was uh, with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh, you know, and uh, he, he goes. Uh, from there, showing us the power of the word and how he's the king on earth. And so it's almost he's... like I said last time that it's it's almost like we've left history class and now we're going into theology class. Yes, right? yes, definitely, definitely. <laughs> and this chapter four is what I think you know it's it's very short. It's just some of the most beautiful beautiful images of the love between Jesus and his mother. And uh, it's hard to really contemplate that love for Protestants because Catholics have this incredible gift of the faith in the Eucharist to be able to see this love of Christ that is so incredible that we call it a divine condescension. He lowers himself through this incredible humility to not just want to love us, to actually become part of us spiritually and physically. And we understand through this understanding and depth of this love, we can contemplate his love for his own mother and that humility and that connection to his own mother. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's, it's something that can't be received at a superficial level. 
you have to understand that our relationship with Jesus uh, is, is if if everything that Jesus said is is platitudinal and and symbolic and uh, then then our relationship with Him is at a superficial level. But Jesus didn't come to give us uh, symbolic bread as symbolic food. Jesus came to give Himself to us, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in the reality uh, of the Eucharist. Uh, and when Jesus said. He who does the will of my father is my brother and sister and mother. Uh, again, he wasn't speaking symbolically. He was saying that is our true grafting. That is our true incorporation into the family of God where we now have Mary as our mother. And, and we're going to go into that in a very special way. And we must receive Jesus on that intimate level is what I'm trying to say. It, it can't yeah. be a, you know, the Protestants are always talking about a relationship with God. Well, <laughs> it, it <laughs> this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it gets real because this is what true relationship with Jesus is really about. Exactly. John 4, we'll read 1 through 6. When Jesus therefore understood the Pharisees had heard that disciples and baptizeth more than John. Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and went again into Galilee. And he was of necessity to pass through Samaria. He cometh therefore to a city of Samaria, which is called Sichar, near the land Jacob gave to his, his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus is therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour. Jesus understood that the Pharisees, in their jealousy, were beginning to plot against him, and his ministry was just beginning. So in order to continue his teaching without the constant intervention of the Pharisees of the area, he needed to leave and he moved on into the Galilee. And as we explained when we were going through the Gospel of Matthew, by this time in history, the Galilee was half Jew and half Gentiles. Uh, we also read in Isaiah 9, 1, 1 and 2, uh, the prophecy of this event. And uh, I'm going to read it here so we get the bigger image of what's going on. Uh, at the first time, the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali touched and at the last the way of the sea beyond the Jordan of the Galilee of the Gentiles was heavily loaded the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light to them that dwelt in the region of the shadow of death light is risen thou hast multiplied the nation and hast not increased the joy they shall rejoice before thee as they that rejoice as conquerors rejoice after taking a prey when they divide the for the yoke of their burden and the rod of their shoulder and the scepter of their oppressor thou hast overcome as in the day of Madian. For every violent taking of spoils with tumult and garment mingled with blood shall be burnt and be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us and a son is given us and the government is upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful God the father of the world to come, the prince of peace. 
His empire shall be multiplied, and there shall be no end of peace. He shall sit upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to establish it and strengthen it with judgment and with justice from henceforth and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, the day of uh, Madian or Madian refers to God to save his people. It refers to Gideon's battle with the Midianites in Judges 7 and 8, when God, through a miraculous intervention, helps Gideon with, with only 300 soldiers conquer a huge army. And, of course, in this same context of the Gentiles seeing a great light, this light who is Jesus is called Wonderful, Counselor, God the Almighty, the Father of the world to come, which shows us a glimpse into the Trinity right here. If we remember, Matthew in chapter 4 referred to these same passages in the context of the Galilee when he wrote, the people of darkness have seen a great light. As for this area called Samaria, Samaria functioned as the northern kingdom of Israel until it was taken over by the Syrians in about 720 B.C. It was known for ivory houses and luxury palaces and paganism. So they built their own temples, which Jesus says, pagan, and they were hated by the Jews so much that Jews would risk crossing the Jordan River instead of go through Samaria on their, on their journeys. Uh, the Samarians claimed to be direct descendants of Abraham and taught the Torah, but mixed it with pagan practice, kind of like how Gnosticism is a, is a combination of the New Testament Egyptian mysticism. Uh, while the Jews believed God chose Mount Zion in Jerusalem for his dwelling, the um, uh, Samaritans chose uh, Mount Gerizim. So where Jesus was, was at Jacob's well. If we look at the spiritual symbols of wells in Scripture, wells were often signs of betrothal in Scripture. Rebecca was approached at a well uh, to marry Isaac. Jacob met Rachel at a well. Moses met uh, Zephorah at a well the daughter of the priest uh, at Midian. Uh, we read in Exodus 2.16, the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came to draw water. And when the trowels, trowels were, were filled, desired to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. And Moses arose and defending the maids, watered their sheep. And when they returned to uh, Regal, their father, he said to them, why are you come soon? They answered, a man of Egypt delivered us from the hands of the shepherds, and he drew water also with us and gave the sheep to drink. And as we discussed in, in the Gospel of Matthew, Moses is a type for Christ. The true Moses, the Gentile bride, he first led his bride through the true Red Sea of baptism into the land flowing with milk and honey of the truth of the sacramental life, where we participate in the true Passover of the Mass which is the general redemption of the world. The 12 tribes were a type for the world, and the meeting tribe is the church, where the bronze lava before the veil has become baptism into Christ Jesus. The veil entered after, after is the flesh of Christ as the church. In the holies, the bread of the presence has become the Eucharist. The incense has become the prayers of the saints rising to the throne of God. The life-giving cross would save those of all ages before and after the cross. 
So if you look at the image here, I, I mean, it, it, there are a lot of people that have this misnomer about Jesus that he was not confrontational. <laughs> this is about as confrontational as it gets. Uh, talk mm -hmm. about in your face to the Pharisees. The Samaritans were a people that were that they held in contempt. They thought they were they were filthy. They were uh, they were unclean. They were not to be associated with. Like you said, they they'd go on these elaborate uh, end arounds on their journeys to avoid walking through their their territory. And we're going to see here time and time and time again Jesus raising up. Samaritans as examples of what a true believer is, and and this was this was a shocking image to the people of the time because it would it was just unheard of that anything good could come out of Samaria that a Samaritan could be uh, you know redeemable, and this is this this shocking message Jesus is delivering to show the disconnect between. Uh, as again, as the message John the Baptist gave, uh, do not presume to say to yourselves, "We are sons of Abraham," for God can raise up from these stones sons to Abraham. And we're going to be getting into the into the story of the the parable of the Good Samaritan, which gets into this uh, deeper and deeper. But I want to touch on what Luke just talked about, harkening back to Isaiah nine, the people in darkness have seen a great light and I guess I really never noticed how that prophecy specifically talks about the areas where this would first happen and and it, and it was indeed this area that he that Jesus is passing through now and it was considered spiritually dark and yet here is where Jesus is really beginning the meat of his ministry that the the light of the world has come to show himself to the world in this place of darkness it's just it's just stark you can hear the words i will spouse you to me in justice i will spouse you to me forever i will call those my people who are not my people and they shall say thou art my god this is the courtship the bride, the perfect, the, the the imperfect bride, and the perfect groom. Right. So, right, John set four seventeen. Let's read. And, and here comes right here. Just let me say this real quick. Right here, mm -hmm. this is exactly what I was just talking about. We 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 jump. John jumps right into it with you know, yes. raising up of, of a Sumerian person as an example. Yes, yes. There cometh some water. Jesus saith to her, "Give me to drink." Sorry, for his. Go ahead. I'm sorry you you broke up there. The sound broke up again. Just just start from verse seven again. Okay. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith to her, "Give me to drink," for his disciples were gone into the city to buy meats. Then that Samaritan woman saith to him, How dost thou, being a Jew, ask of me to drink whom a Samaritan woman? For the Jews do not communicate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If thou didst know the gifts of God, and who is that saith to thee, 
give me to drink, thou perhaps would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith to him, Sir, thou hast nothing wherein to draw, and the well is deep, from whence then hast thou living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but he that shall drink of the water that I will give him shall not thirst forever. But the water that I will give him shall become in him a fountain of water, springing up into life everlasting. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst. So, like I begin to describe, so spiritually what we see here is the courtship between God and his half-Jew, half-Gentile bride, uh, uh, future bride, at a well of betrothal. It is amazing that we see this right after we saw a wedding feast, which was a type for the true wedding feast of the Lamb in, in the true Passover of the Holy Mass. What we see right after the story of Nicodemus showing us the preparation of the bride and baptism into the kingdom of God, the flesh of Christ, which makes us the chosen people, the holy nation, the royal priesthood, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The prophet Hosea prophesied this marriage when he said, I will spouse you to me in justice. I will spouse me forever. I will call those my people and not my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. Remember, just in the last chapter, John the Evangelist had John the Baptist saying, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who standeth and heareth him rejoiceth with joy because the bridegroom's voice my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And what do we see in the Samaritan woman at the well of betrothal? We see the bride. What do we see in Christ? God led us to the prophecy. is is, is called He is called Wonderful Counselor, God the Almighty, the Father of the world to come. He tells us the Gentile bride. If thou didst know the gift of God and who he is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou perhaps wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee life living water. In Hebrew, living water as pure flowing water untouched by human hands. It can be understood as entrance into the spiritual life, entrance into the graces of God through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says we must be baptized of water and spirit. So we also see in living water the image of our baptism. In the Great Commission, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what us and brothers and sisters, is the Holy Spirit present at baptism? If you say no, the water only gets you wet then you contradict God's words. Isn't the Trinitarian baptism an invocation of the Holy Spirit? But where else do we see this image of uh, living water? In Numbers 19, where the red heifer is a type for Christ. And let's read this. And they shall take the ashes of the burning and the sin offering and shall pour living waters upon them into a vessel, living waters. 
And a man that is clean shall dip hyssop in them, and shall sprinkle therewith all the tent and all the furniture, and the men that are defiled by touching any such thing. And in this manner, he that is clean shall purify the unclean on the third and on the seventh day. And being expiated the seventh day, he shall wash himself and his garments and be unclean until the evening. If any man not be expiated after this rite, his soul shall perish out of the midst of the church, because he hath profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, and was not sprinkled with the water of purification. This precept shall be an ordinance forever. He also that sprinkleth the water shall wash his garments. Everyone that shall touch the waters of expiation shall be unclean in the evening. Whatsoever a person toucheth who is unclean shall make it unclean. And the person that toucheth any of these things shall be unclean until the evening. You see these words like uh, uh, it shall be a precept forever. It's a precept forever because it moves on into its fulfillment until the end of time. Now, the cross is, a, is the sin offering fulfilled. The water, the red heifer, is composed of the sacrifice, wood and scarlet and water. Uh, see the imagery. The red heifer is a sin offering. Jesus on the cross is a sin offering. Red heifer is a very uh, uh, rare red heifer. The son of God. Sacrifice outside the camp or outside of the people of Jerusalem. Jesus was sacrificed outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. The sacrifice is to purify both Jews and even Gentiles who have come into the Jewish community. Jesus is to purify both Jews and Gentiles from entrance into his very flesh. The red heifer is without blemish. Jesus is without sin. The red heifer has never been yoked. No yoke has been placed on it. Jesus willingly went to the cross. It is combined with scarlet and wood. We see blood on the wood of the cross, or Jesus mocked wearing scarlet. The mixture is sprinkled from a hyssop branch. Hyssop was a healing plant. Jesus purifies us from sin through his own blood, mystically applied to our souls at baptism. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, representing us as a Gentile bride, if you know who I was, you would ask, and I would give you life-giving water. And number 18 says, And they shall take the ashes of the burning into the sin offering, and shall pour living waters upon them. In sure of expiation, which means the act of extinguishing guilt incurred by something. Uh, so in baptism, where we are saved by the true red heifer, the blood of the lamb is the expiation of sin of Adam. And for those of the age of reason, expiation of all guilt of sin up to the point of baptism. Think of this imagery. Numbers 19 tells us, if any man be not expiated after this rite, soul shall perish out of the midst of the church because he hath profaned the sanctuary of the Lord is not sprinkled with the water of purification tells us unless you are born of water and spirit you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven or where your wedding garments are uh, or your white robes of baptism are there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth or you do not pour new wine into old wineskins as Jesus told us in John 10 I tell you the truth the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, 
but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating imagery, and it it shows it again. What we said just a minute ago. All this has to be apprehended, Luke. It, it can't be. We can't approach this as bleary-eyed, like we're reading the Old Testament, seeing, oh, we see all these symbols, all these rituals, all these symbols, all these rituals. And you you have to apprehend this with understanding that the water of baptism has life-giving grace. It's life-altering grace. It's soul-cleansing grace. It has supernatural power to it. And if you don't apprehend it in that way, you might as well not even read this this gospel because this is the message that John is hammering home. Baptism has supernatural power to it. That the Eucharist has supernatural power to it. And John is making real the supernatural, grace-filled, um, hidden element of our faith that makes it real, that gives it its power. And you hear the words about the, in Genesis, about the spirit moving upon the waters. Then we come to the understanding that Jesus was not baptized because he needed baptized. He was baptized because he gave power to the waters. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Haddock's commentary on, on these verses we just went over uh, to get a little bit more context. Verse 10. So the gift of God, example, the favor now offered by thee, by my presence of believing in me. And he would have given thee living water, meaning divine graces. But the woman understood him literally of such water as was there in the well. And in verse 12, the Samaritan woman says, Our father Jacob, because the Samaritans claim lineage from Abraham, who was himself a Chaldean, and they therefore called Jacob. Because he was Abraham's grandson, or she calls him their father because they lived under the law of Moses and were in possession of that spot of ground which Jacob had bequeathed to his son Joseph. Uh, Verse 13, shall thirst again. After any water or any drink, a man naturally thirsts again, but Christ speaks of the spiritual water of grace in in this life and the glory in the perfectly satisfy the desires of man's immortal soul forever. We're at John 4, 16 through 19. Jesus saith to her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Thou hast said, Well, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. This thou hast said truly. Woman saith to him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Well, Jesus is God, and God here is showing the Samaritan woman that he has perfect knowledge of her life, telling her that she has had five husbands and is currently with one who is not her husband. The woman is amazed at how Jesus would know these things, yet again, we must look to the spiritual mysteries of these things. We have the well of betrothal, being water. We have the Gentile bride. 
we had the best man in John the Baptist proclaiming the coming of the marriage. So why do we have a woman who was married five times in the past? A priest named Father Chad King summarizes this event using uh, Brant Petrie's book, Jesus, uh, the Bridegroom, when he wrote, but more than who this woman is, there is more significance to whom who this woman represents. Kings tells us that there are five male gods whom the Samaritans worshipped. Interestingly, Baal, the name given to these male gods, is the Canaanite word for husbands. And the fact that John tells us this woman of Samaria has had five husbands, and the one she is with now is not her husband, has been seen as a connection with the five false male gods of Samaria. Therefore, many New Testament scholars see that this woman's with five ex-husbands represents every Samaritan. And in fact, this woman represents not only every Samaritan, but you and I as well. Because even though we believe in and worship the one true God, we, like Samaria, also have false gods who we tend to worship from time to time. And like this woman, Jesus is inviting us into a covenantal marriage relationship with him. Jesus wants to be in an intimate relationship with us, a relationship as exclusive as marriage, so that our hearts are given to him and him alone. And through him, we love what and who he places in our lives. And... If you were going to predict that Jesus was going to come to earth and was going to explain to us the beauty of the covenantal relationship with uh, someone that he has chosen, this would be the last person on earth you expect him to reveal this message to. This would be a person that even our modern society would consider as a, as a, as a cast off as, as damaged goods. She's been married five times, Luke. She's damaged goods. She's, you know, beyond redemption. <laughs> and yet this is who Jesus reveals his message to. It's almost like he chooses the most extreme example that he can find in order to hammer home the point that salvation is offered to all of us and none of us are beyond reach. None of us are beyond hope. So he goes to a Samaritan, which is one strike against her to begin with. And she's not just a, a Samaritan. She's not just a, a a dog, if you will. That's that's what the, 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 the Jews at that time considered Gentiles to be. They were dogs, pigs and dogs. So she's not only a pig or a dog, but she's a pig or a dog that's been married five times. And yet this is who Jesus reveals the gospel message to. It's just, it's fascinating, isn't it? You know, it reminds me of our, 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 our priest's uh, homily this week. Uh, we got a beautiful priest and uh, talking about mercy and he's talking about abortion. And he's talking about, I forgot the man's name, but he started out in New York and, uh, he was the one who set up the largest abortion uh, clinic in New York. And he started uh, NARL, that uh, that uh, uh, group uh, to support abortion, and that led to Roe versus Wade. And uh, he aborted just hundreds of, hundreds of kids, and he was, he, he was Jewish. And uh, 
then uh, he, his wife needed an abortion, and uh, he goes, well, why don't I just do it? So he does it. And right after this, about this time, they came out with ultrasound. Mm-hmm. And then he witnessed an abortion with ultrasound and witnessed the baby being just tore up. And he just broke down. And that changed his life. But what really changed his life was he talked to a priest. And the priest told him that there's, there's no sins that uh, God's mercy uh, will, you know, will not forgive. And uh, he ended up being a Catholic. And uh, uh, due to that God's mercy and uh, really experiencing that. Mm-hmm. And the doctor's name was Bernard Nathanson. Exactly. And, and the movie became known as The Silent Scream. And yeah, it was, uh, that's powerful. So John 4, 20 through 24. Our fathers adored on this mountain. And you say that at Jerusalem is the place where men must adore. Jesus saith to her, woman, believe me that the hour cometh when you shall neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem adore the father. Adore that which you know not. We adore that which we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now, is when the true adorers shall adore the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father also seeketh such to adore him. God is a spirit, and they that adore him must adore him in spirit and truth. Our fathers, meaning Jacob and the ancient patriarchs, the mountain meaning Gerizim, Samaritans built a temple as opposed to the temple in Jerusalem. So in saying adored, she may be referring to offering sacrifice. So right here again, we go from baptism to feast of the lamb and the the image of Canaan into the mystery of the the Passover and and, and the the true sacrifice by adoration. So sacrifices were both offered in this temple it appears like there's a, a completion here, or a competition here, and almost like comparing sacrifices and questioning which one does God accept the most. An interesting perspective, this comes from a Dr. Kellison's survey of the new religion, and I'll read it. The woman in this place must mean offering sacrifice for adoration was never limited to any particular place. It is clear from... Uh, Book of Kings, uh, that God has chosen the temple of Jerusalem, but the Samaritans rejected all the books of Scripture except the book of Moses. The schism was begun by Manassas, a fugitive priest, that he might hold his unlawful wife, thereby and obtain superiority in schism, which he could not do whilst he remained in the unity of his brethren. How forcefully circumstances remind us of a much later promoter of schism, King Henry VIII. It is true the Protestants appealed to the primitive Christians as the Samaritans appealed to the patriarchs, but in the argument both must stand or fall by the incontrovertible proof of continual succession. Very interesting take, and of course um, the uh, 
reference to King Henry VIII has nothing to do with Herman's Hermits. <laughs> Henry VIII, I am, I am. <laughs> but uh, just, yeah, you know, all joking aside, um, it, it had to have been speaking of the sacrifice because um, that's why the Jews uh, three times a year had to had to travel to Jerusalem because that was the only place where the sacrifice uh, could be made. And now the, the sacrifice, the highest form of worship, uh, is performed in, in, in every place on, on the globe. And that's what we're just about ready to enter into. And it's just, it's just beautiful how this just, this just flows from baptism to the, the wedding feast to the, into the, uh, to, 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 to the true nature of union with God. Yeah. John 4:24. God is spirit and they that adore him must adore him in spirit and truth. I want to focus on this verse for a couple of minutes here because our Protestant brothers and sisters often try to use this verse against Catholics when they should look closely at how they become hypocritical as they do so. Now is the beginning of the time when God will be worshipped, not in just a specific location, which the Jews and Sumerians had to over, but everywhere and in truth. In other words, the animal sacrifices are not truth, but substitutes and precursors to the sacrifice of Christ. The Sumerians were worshipping false gods and the real God at the same time. So what I am about to present from Paul applies both to them and to the prophecies of our age. Now, Paul, who was dealing with those who were baptized uh, into the church, into the chosen people, the holy nations, were, were falling back into their pagan sacrifices. Therefore, Paul tells them, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, fly from the service of idols. Speak as to wise men. Judge ye yourselves what I say. The chalice of benediction which we bless, is it not the communion in the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not partaking of the body of the Lord? For we, being many, are one bread, one body, all that partake of the one bread. Behold, Israel, according to that they that eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar. What then do I say that what is offered and sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that the idols anything? But the things that which the heathens sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should be partakers of, with devils. You cannot drink the chalice of the Lord and the chalice of the devils. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and of the table of the devils. Do we invoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things do not... Let no man seek his own, but that which is another's. Whatever is sold in the shambles, eat, asking no questions for conscience' sake. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not invite you, and you be willing to go, eat of anything that is set before you, asking no question or conscience' sake. But if any man say that this has been sacrificed to idols, do not eat of it for his sake that told it. And for conscience' sake, conscience, I say, not they, not thy own, but the others. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I evil uh, spoken of for that for which I give thanks? 
Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever else you do, do all in the glory of God. Be without offense to the Jew and to the Gentile and to the church of God, as I also in all things please all men, not seeking that which is profitable to myself, but to many, that they may be saved. Now, Corinth was known for its wickedness and pagan debauchery. A new Greek word was coined for them, a Corinthianazomia, which means to live immorally like a Corinthian. So there appears to have been a question circling around the Christian community at Corinth of whether or not Christians should eat meat sacrificed to pagan gods. Paul knows that eating these meats does not affect our, our faith because he knows an idol is nothing unless someone falsely believes it's, an animated, it's animated by gods, which he subscribes to the work of demons, or the idol is sacrificed to. Idolatry means a sacrifice to a pagan god. And Augustine wrote, what is properly defined worship, which the Greeks call latria, and for which there is no word in Latin, both in doctrine and in practice, we give only to God. To this worship belongs the offering of sacrifices, as we see in the word idolatry, which means the giving of this worship to idols. Accordingly, we never offer or require anyone to offer a sacrifice to a martyr or to a holy soul or to any angel, anyone falling into this air is instructed by doctrine, either in the way of correction or of caution. So at the Council of Jerusalem, through the power of the keys of binding and loosing, Peter separated the church from over 1,300 years of Mosaic law when he declared that we are all saved by grace and not the law of Moses. And at this council, which was focused on harmony between both Jews and Gentiles in the church, James being the local bishop of the council after Peter made his declaration, gave some advice on a couple things that would help this community of both baptized Jews and Gentiles. So James speaks first, and the magisterium confirms the decision. Let's read it. For which – go ahead. Go ahead. John? You there? I lost you, John. You hear me now? Hello? Hello? John? John? At Arizona State University, we offer a wide variety of degree programs online to match all kinds of interests and career aspirations. Programs that are taught by the same notable faculty who teach on campus and designed using innovative technology to improve learning outcomes and equip you for post-graduation success. That's why 87% of ASU online graduates indicated they were promoted at work or received an increase in salary after earning their degree. 
Find your program at asuonline.asu.edu. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.